Now this morning, uh, if you want a title to our message, uh, it would be Hope in the Midst of Adversity. Hope in the Midst of Adversity. I don't, I'm not allowed to walk around on it, I'm mercy. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I like to kind of connect with the congregation, so I used to like to step down from the podium. Can't do that at Vineyard, you have to stay right at the top there. But hope in the midst of adversity. You know, we live in times that are at best difficult economically, uh, socially, politically. You know, we have the secular humanists wanting to remove all vestige of kind of religion from us. You know, we, we can't pray before a meeting, all this kind of stuff. We have this false notion, and it's a false notion, and it comes from Greek philosophy, that there is a divide between the secular and the spiritual, or the sacred. Somehow, what we're doing here is sacred, but what you do on Monday morning is secular. That is not a biblical view. That is not a biblical perspective. The Bible looks at our lives holistically. Everything you do you, is spiritual as far as God is concerned. Work is from God. Amen. Now, it's interesting, you see, because in the garden, Adam and Eve had work to do. God gave them a very specific mandate. He said, look, have dominion over all the earth, and I want you to look after it. Rule. So they had a specific job description which fitted them perfectly, and as they fulfilled it, they were fulfilled. Until sin came along, and then there was this division. First, they obviously we know that they were they had were, they were cut off from God, but they were also cut off from each other. Who are? What do you mean? Well, um, Adam and Eve worked together beautifully. They complemented each other. And of course they had sweet fellowship with God because it says that God was walking in the cool of the day. Now this is after they had actually ate of the fruit. But there was fellowship with God and there was fellowship and transparency and vulnerability between Adam and Eve until the fall. After the fall, there was competition. There was hiddenness. In our society, that, has, that is manifested in the word misogyny. Now, the word misogyny usually is used in, in relation to men hating women, but actually it works both ways. Instead of men and women working together and complementing each other, we find that they're in competing with one another. So there's this division. The reality is this, that God's plan when we come back into relationship with him through what Jesus did at Calvary, isn't, isn't just, and I say this you know, by way of parenthetical statement, just to deal with our sin, it's to redeem everything that was lost before the fall. Which means that men and women, God's plan is to restore us so that we begin to complement each other and not fight with each other. Now I know I've been married something like 31 years. I know I look young. I was a child when I got married. <laughs> yeah? But the reality is that even after 31 years, there are still parts of my life that my wife doesn't know about. That's not bad. It's not that I'm running around with another woman or something like that. But they're hidden parts. Because I may not be in that place yet where I feel free enough to share with them because I might be afraid they might use it later on to beat me with. 
I know none of you do any, have these kind of problems, you know. But God's working in me. So the plan is that ultimately you, if you're a married couple, become one and there's that, that transparency and you complement one another in the way that you minister and work together. I always say to couples that I had the privilege to marry is that I say to them this, the issue isn't that you're looking into each other's eyes. The issue is, are you looking in the same direction? Because that's the key. So, as I said, we are in these times. There's, there's the whole issue now, you know, the Church of England have, at last have made a statement, you know, that we are not, we're for heterosexual marriage. Well, bless the Lord. <laughs> you know, that's good. <laughs> I always smile because, you know, obviously I'm a chaplain. Obviously, you don't know this, but I'm also a chaplain for the YMCA and it's Central Hertfordshire. So, this is just on my patch. In fact, one of the young people here, here works in the base center at YMCA and I, I'm, the one, I'm the chaplain for that. Uh, so, this is all my patch. I spend more time down here than I do in Dunstable. However, the reality is that as I move out and around Central Hearts, Stevenage, Welling Garden City, Hatfield, etc., etc., I see that we are in difficult times because I see what's happening with people. People just like you. You say, what do you mean? Well, the people I find at the hostel, when I go and speak to them, this is at Welland Garden Hostel, they were married or they were in a long-term relationship and they found out that their partner was cheating and then they couldn't handle it, so they left the home and they found themselves on the street or they couldn't pay the mortgage and now they find themselves at the hostel. So the people you think are at the hostel, you think are the drug addicts and the, the bad... No, it's not so. It's people just like you. Someone said this, you are two paychecks from homelessness. You're two paychecks from homelessness. So this thing is closer than you think. Now, What's God's perspective on these times? Now, I wouldn't hasten to say that I'm going to deal with all of that this morning. But what's God's perspective? Because as the people of God, we need to have a perspective that is not a humanistic or secular perspective. It has to be a biblical perspective. The gentleman that came up to, uh, I don't what was he, the chap that was up here, was he doing? Rubus, yeah? He, is it... Whatever his name is, God bless him. <laughs> he read from Isaiah 61. It's one of my texts for this morning. You know, that the gospel, the good news, is about when Jesus stood up in the, in the temple. Oh, it's all right, don't worry, his water, it will dry. <laughs> when he stood up in the temple, he said this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring what? Good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of our Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland of prayer, a garland of, instead of ashes, to give them a garland instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. The mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks 
of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That was his declaration. As it were, of independence. It was his statement of activity. It was his mission statement. You see, we've been praying, Ant and I and the the pastors, uh, for this area, for revival. And revival isn't just... I'm standing in front of one who speaks on revival with such eloquence and such scholarliness. You know, I feel intimidated, but this is what I'm going to say anyway. It's not just about... That's Ant. It's not just... <laughs> yeah, you need to, you know... I can big him up. And he needs it. We all need it. <laughs> isn't just so that we, the church, can have renewal. It's ultimately so that the world, that's those who don't know Jesus, may come to a knowledge of him. That the abundance of the sea, as Isaiah said it, is a converted unto thee. I.e., all those people out there in St. Albans who are riding their bikes up and down the road, who are playing golf, who are lying down in their beds, who have gone to the gym, who have gone to a playroom to get their kids out of their heads and all the rest of it, start to come here because there's a reason. There's something here for them. God is interested about the people out there. In the process of revival, God also wants to revive the church. And in these times when... We are, people are experiencing financial difficulty in a way they have not experienced it before. The church is in an optimum position to demonstrate that our God is able to do a seeding abundantly above that which we could ask or think. And when they come to church, it's not just a matter of them just have great worship, which is essential because when I, I worship God, I'm always crying. I was here this morning. <laughs> yes, Lord, I want to live for you. Yes, what's worship all about? Worship is supposed to touch your heart. It's not singing a song. Worship is not, we get up, we sing up, rock of ages, clear for me, we sit down. Yes, God is blessed by that. Then we stand up again, you know, blah, blah, blah. Worship is an intimate encounter with God where your heart is touched, where it goes beyond. So you come in and you're burdened because you don't know how you're going to get the mortgage paid next month. Or you've got relational challenges. Or you've got financial challenges. Or you've got emotional challenges. And you come in and you decide as an act of worship and a sacrifice of praise that you're going to focus on God this morning and you're going to give Him the praise. Yeah? And as you do... The Spirit of God comes on you and all of a sudden you begin to realize His grace and His mercy and His goodness and His love and His life. And it touches your heart and you begin to cry and you begin to weep. And somehow in that moment a divine exchange takes place where all of a sudden you see Him for who He is and your situation is not as difficult as you thought it was. And you leave with the peace of God and you've got hope in your heart that whatever situation you're going back to, God goes back with you. Because He's for you, not against you. Yeah? And he begins to change situations, but it started in the place of worship. The worship is not singing songs. It's more important, I'm going to say it, than the preaching. You say, why? Because the worship is for God. The preaching is for us. And man's chief aim is what? To glorify God and love him forever. So worship is important. It's essential. It's central, particularly at the vineyard to what we do. But also in times of austerity, we cannot be talking... You see, if you remember the 80s, the 80s, those of you who are old enough to remember that, which most of you, right? 
It was the time of loads of money. It was the time of Mrs. Thatcher releasing, you know, the, 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 the markets and there was opportunity for people to be upwardly mobile and yuppies. And people were feeling good about themselves. And St. Albans was leading it, man. You know, you can't afford, then you couldn't afford to buy a house there, you know. Now it's even more difficult to buy a house in St. Albans. But it was a very, one of the most affluent areas in the southeast. And you could talk about having a 5,000-seater church or... You know, you could talk about that and people would go with it because it, there was money, there wasn't austerity. If you talk about that now, that's kind of a difficult thing for the congregation to deal with when you try and pay your mortgage and pay your tithe. It's kind of almost immoral to talk about those things. So what is it that will cause people's attention to be focused on God when they come to church? Friends, it's not enough just to have good preaching. Because I went to those kind of churches. I went to the churches that preach good preaching. Good teaching is important. It's got to be one of the prerequisites of any church. It has to be good teaching from the Word. But it's not the only thing. There has to be an, an encounter with a supernatural God so that when they come into the place, they know that they have met with God. What am I talking about? I'm talking about signs and wonders and miracles. Some people say, oh, well, that's for another generation. Well... See how that works for you. Because ultimately, in the middle of this, people need to come to church, and when they can see that this supernatural God heals people, this supernatural God binds up the brokenhearted, this supernatural God dips down into someone's heart and takes a depression that wants to take them to death, and they are released from that depression, and they choose life, and they walk out of here on a, in a different way than when they come in, came in, then they know they had an encounter with God which does what? It gives them hope as they go back into their situation. So one of the things we're praying for is that we see an increase in the supernatural power of God amongst the people of God. Has to happen. Because you see, people need hope. Words are not enough. People are listening to politicians every day that are giving them false hope. God bless them. Pray for the politicians. They need help. But the reality is they don't have the answers. The church is where God dwells amongst his people. And when people from outside come in, they need to see the supernatural power of God as the word is preached and then as with expectation, the word comes with signs following. Amen. Thank you. Now, let us go to the scriptures lest you think that I'm just having a rant here. Luke, uh, no, wait, no, Acts chapter 4. 24 to 31. Now, let me give you the background. As you know, uh, Helen read it out earlier, Acts chapter 1 there, the 120 disciples now uh, see Jesus, and Jesus says to them, wait until power from a high comes upon you. 1-8, Acts 1-8. But of course, they are still there, and they're still afraid. And they're still fearful. Because... Jesus has now done the ultimate act of delegation. He went home. Because you can imagine those, those days, I don't know, had, had 120 days with Jesus. They must have been so special. They didn't want him to go home. He's risen from the dead. This is their savior. This is their Lord. And then he says, I'm leaving. And you could almost feel him going, no, not again. He says, but wait. What do you think? That's why he said to them. Yeah, that's why he said to them, look, look power from on high. Wait, wait. Because there's something, unless I go, he can't come. Who? The Holy Spirit. Yeah? And then, 
we read in Acts chapter 2, of course, that the Holy Spirit comes with great power. And Peter, who denied the Lord three times, healed of that, gets up and preaches the sermon of all sermons. Every preacher would have loved to preach that sermon and have 3,000 souls blasted into the kingdom. So they went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. And, you know, we usually stress over the fact, how can we manage another 100 people? But you know something? I'm always reminded of Jesus and the disciples when they went fishing. And Jesus said to them, look, you've been fishing all night, but put your nets down over here. And they're thinking, well, all right, we'll do it. And you know what happened? They had a catch that was so great that it took two or three boats to get it together. But here's the little bit I love. It said, but the net did not break. Amen. And here's the point, friends. If God was to blast 3,000 souls into here, the net would not break. The structure wouldn't break. The structure wouldn't break. We would manage. That's what, that's a word for us because we get so, you know, we're, I go to staff meetings and we're talking about this, that, and the other and how we're going to manage. We want more people. And if the Lord wants to do that, I said, if the Lord is going to do that, the structure will handle it. Yeah. The structure will handle it. The net will not break. And actually, we're coming up to the time of year, which is a good time for catching fish, which is Easter. Because people don't normally come to church. Who, people who don't normally come to church will come to church at Easter. Good net, good time for the nets for us to catch new people. Anyway, back to the text. So the background is now that the disciples start to do the stuff and the power of God is on them and people get healed and the religious community now get upset about what's going down. Let me tell you something. Much of the resistance to what God is going to do in the last days won't come from where you think it would. It will come from inside the church. Because that's the way it is. It's, the, it's the, the religious community to get upset that after all the years of them keeping the law, and I felt sorry for the Pharisees because they genuinely thought they were doing the right thing. You know? They genuinely thought they were doing the right thing. They were scholarly, they'd read the scriptures, etc. So when people started to get healed and they started to talk about this Jesus, they're thinking, what are we going to do? And the, local, the authorities are now in on it, and they want to resist him. So when we come into this in Acts chapter 4, we have one of our first major crises in the early church. And I'm going to pick it up from verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sun and everything is in it. You spoke long ago by your, the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with, with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened. What, this, I'll start again. You know what problem is? I need to get glasses. <laughs> in fact, this has happened here in this way, in this very city, for Herod, Pontius Pilate, Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Let me stop there. What is, the beautiful thing about this, when things are going wrong, just remember who's in control. They understood that 
this attack on them was predetermined. They understood that God was sovereign. They understood that God was in control. We pick it up again. And now, O Lord, hear the threats and give us your servants what? Great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miracles, signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Amen. Now, I love it because you see, how would we as the church now had responded to that kind of attack? We would have, oh Lord, we are your servants. You see this situation that we are in. Oh God, what are we to do? You know, and we would be there. I've seen this. But they didn't start there. In fact, let's unpack this. What can we learn? Well, first thing is they prayed out aloud. I love this. They all got together. So what would happen? The church came together and they prayed out loud. Secondly now, I've got not points here, I've got to get through them. They prayed about the same issue. <laughs> Let me say, this is a little child prayer, you know. When the church gets together to pray, and if Anne says, look, we need to ask God to intervene so we can get this insurance through quickly. This is not the time to pray for people in Ethiopia. <laughs> this is not the time to do that. The time to do that is that we pray and we focus on the fact that we need to ask God to intervene so that the insurance company will cut through the bureaucracy and we will get to the point. So they prayed at the same point. But that's just the, the kind of aperitif before we get to the main event. Verse 24 now. First, first things first. When we meet crisis, what do they say? They say, they said, you are sovereign in the affairs of men. Here's it, hear it now, it says, O Lord, O Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth. So where do we start? We start with the sovereignty of God, that in any situation God is in control. That he rules and reigns in the affairs of men. That he's not sitting in heaven biting his nails about what Mr. Cameron will do, what Mr. Obama will do if he becomes elected a second time, or what anybody else is doing. He's not surprised. Psalm 2 tells us, and Spurgeon said this was the psalm of the Messiah Prince. Treasury of David, I read those things, you know. (laughs) I'm charismatic, good stuff. It says, it says this, that the Lord sits in the heavens. And he smiles, it said, he laughs. He looks at the activities of the secular humanists to undermine him, and he's there thinking, hmm, really? Knew that one, see that before? Nothing new there? <laughs> he's, because it says he has his, set his king upon his holy hill in Zion. Who is the king? Jesus. He sent Jesus. And therefore Jesus has made an open show of every principality and power, triumphing over them through the cross. Colossians chapter, I think, 2.15. So the first thing when we begin to pray, we start with sovereign Lord. We don't start with the situation. We say, Lord, you're governor over the universe. You rule in the affairs of men. You are the ones in control. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And therefore, that's the basis we come to you. Not on the basis of the problem. 
on the basis of who God is, that he rules in the affairs of men. And even in these austere times, God is still our provider. Bless the Lord for the guy who came up here and said that there will be no lack in the house. Because I do believe that we are entering into a time that God will do, provide supernatural provision for us. Just as he provided for Elijah food from the raven, the Lord will provide money in your bank and you wonder where it came from. But God put it there to prove to you that as you seek first God's kingdom, all these things will be added unto you and you do not need to be afraid. Because, I'll put it another way, in the land of Goshen, when all the, the, when God was basically destroying the economy of the Egyptians in Goshen, it said there was light and there was life and none of the diseases that came on the Egyptians came on the children of Israel. Why? Because they belong to the Lord and the presence of the Lord was amongst them as he is now. So you don't need to be afraid. Now that doesn't mean you don't budget and do all that stuff. But what I'm saying to you, we need to have a higher expectation that God will provide for us. That he's able to do a seeding abundantly more than you could ask or think. Don't limit God to your ability to produce income. Lord, remind me of a story down in 2 Kings uh, 7, verse 1. The children, Israel had been divided into two nations. The ten tribes were down in the south. The worship center was Samaria. It was under siege by the Syrians. And there was a, it was such a terrible siege that there was cannibalism going on. People eating each other's children, etc. It was terrible. Anyway, the king was upset with Elisha, not Elijah, it's Elisha, and wanted to kill him. But Elisha knew that they were going to do it to him and he told him, look, tell that man to go away. However, he said, let me tell you something. At the moment in the city, an ounce of flour costs a thousand pounds. I'm talking pounds. But tomorrow, about this time, an ounce of flour will be sold for 3p. And the envoy from the king kind of said, how can these things be? If the Lord were open windows in heaven, how can this be? We've been eating each other and you're going to tell me we're going to be buying flour for an ounce and we're paying a thousand pounds for it at the moment? How can these things be? And Elisha said to him, you're going to see it, but you ain't going to eat it. Right? And then that's what it says. You read it. It's not a lie I'm telling you. I'm just paraphrasing it for you. Then what happens now, in the night, the Syrians think that the, Egypt, that the Israelites have hired mercenaries and they hear who's and people, and they run away and leave all their stuff there in the tents. Then these two lepers think to themselves, we are going to die anyway, so we might as well go to the Syrians and let them kill us. You know, if we die, fine. So they walk there, and they walk to the camp of the Syrians, and what do they find? The Syrians have gone, to use colloquial language. They've legged it. (laughs) They've legged it. They've run. So they're thinking... This is wonderful. So they are eating and then they think, hold on a minute here. If we do not tell the people in the city what has happened, a worse thing will overcome us. So what they decide to do is they go back and tell the king what has happened. The king thinks, ah, this is a ploy for us to leave the city so they can come in and destroy us. Anyway, some brave men in there go out and say, it's so, it's so. So what happens is a stampede. And the emissary who's at the gate gets trampled. But what happens is exactly that. That what was announced, which was a thousand pounds, now it's a couple of pence. And they go from a famine to feasting in 24 hours. And the Lord challenged me. He said to me, why do you limit me? Why do you limit me? 
Why do you limit me? Don't you think that I'm able to turn around in 24 hours, something like that? I'm, I'm God, I'm outside of time. I'm outside the size of your pay packet. I'm outside of you. I can do exceeding abundantly. And whatever it is that you are believing God for, he can turn it around just like that. Because he's God. And it, so I, I wrote that down for my own life. And I pray that makes sense to you. That God can turn things around. The power of the Lord is not limited by us. And we must not limit God. So he's sovereign. And he can turn things around. So what's the next point here? They reminded God of what he had done. Each one of us, I hope, can reflect into our lives, those of us who have walked with Jesus for a long time, as what God has done in the past. We would call that an Ebenezer. We're a rock of remembrance. Every one of us has a rock of remembrance that we can look back at a certain time when God intervened into our time-space world and changed things around and it could only have been God. couldn't have been anybody else. And we can draw on that. This, this church draws on that. It draws on it. <laughs> and, and Helen draw on that. When there are times when things are difficult, they look back through their history and they can look at salient points in their lives when God has come through for them and they draw on that to take them into the future for what God will do. Yeah? We need to remind God of what he has done for us, what he has done in his word. So our perspective becomes a biblical one, not a secular one, not an economic one. Not just a social one, but a biblical one. So they reminded God of what he's done. I could remind you, time took me down down in um, 1 Kings 19. Hezekiah, this is um, Judah, up in the south. They're under siege now by the Babylonians. And the, the Babylonian warlord comes and tells them, Why are you trusting God? Don't you see what we have done to all the other nations and we have destroyed them? You are, well, he says some rough things I won't say in church, (laughs) but it's in the book. He said, you are destined to blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Yeah? Some of you have read it, (laughs) right? Okay. And then Hezekiah now tears his robes and he comes before God. And we read this in 1 Kings uh, 19. It's a great prayer. It's one of my favorite prayers. For you know, If you're in distress, if you are troubled, look at the prayer that Hezekiah prayed uh, pray to God. Mm-hmm. Okay, it hasn't moved, so it's still there. Bless God. Mm-hmm. 15, 16. Okay. No, two kings. <laughs> I thought it was one king, so it's two kings. Yeah, two kings. Ah, bless the Lord, here it is. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel who art enthroned above the cherubim, thou art God. Amen. That's not a great statement. Thou art God. And what you need to understand is that there were lots of other gods around at that time, but he's making a statement, you are the God. Thou alone of all the, over all the kingdoms of the earth, Thou hast made heaven and earth. Love this. Incline thine ear, to, O Lord, and hear. 
Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of St. Sherub, who has he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands. But here's the truth. And have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands. That's the truth. Wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. And here it is. And now, O Lord, I pray, deliver us from the hand, of, from his hand. And here it is. This is the reason that all the kingdoms of the world may know that thou alone art God. That's what it's about. When God deliver us, delivers us, it's not just for us, it's a testament to the world that God is with us. We always start with God. Because it's, all, it's about his name, not our name. It's about his name being glorified in all the earth through the church. Then they made their request, verses 29 to 30. I like what they said. They said, look, Lord, what we pray is not that the situation will go away. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us boldness. They were offensive in their prayer. We're not going to ease up and back off. We want boldness that we can speak the word of God with boldness. And friends, the time is coming now when the church has to begin to speak the word with boldness because, you see, what's happening in our society is as the truth that we know has been repositioned, repositioned, repositioned. I, and this comes from the garden, you see, what do you mean? When Adam and Eve took it from the tree of good and evil, in that moment they decided what would be good and what would be evil. And in that moment they became the creator, not the created. And that's why in our society we have things now where things that we know are wrong are now said they're good. And at last, the church now with the whole issue with, with, with um, homosexual marriage has to speak up. Has to speak up. You see, because God quite plainly, well, it's quite simple. The Bible does not teach it. They were talking to an Islamic gentleman about homosexuality. And you know what he said to the, to the newscast? He says, he says, the Quran does not teach it. And end the argument. That's it. The, key, the, the Bible doesn't teach it. End. Now, we have to put with that, that SSA, self-sexual attraction, and homosexuality, and heterosexual promiscuity, all of that, the Bible deals with that because that all comes out of our woundedness and out of our brokenness. And in the church, this is a place where people can come and experience the compassion and mercy of God for him to bind up the brokenhearted, to deal with the people who are wounded, so that they can come back into the place where God created them to be and begin to behave the way God created them to be. And that's the church is there to restore. Yeah? So we have to put that message in there because people say, oh, you are judgmental and that. No, the book says it. But the reality is that you becoming who you are is a part of the redemptive process. And I kind of get really upset when they kind of link it with ethnicity and racism. Look, man, I'm black. I can't do anything about that. I was born that way. I didn't have a choice. It's not a nurture or nurture or, um, what's the other word? Nature issue. Yeah? This is the way I came forth and I'm glad. I have a tan. I do not need to go aboard. Bless the Lord. Yeah? <laughs> yeah? You know, I, I, you know, I'm there. I'm not there in the sun. I'm in the shade. My wife, she's in the shade, but she, she needs a tan. 
She's Caucasian. But, you know, she's, she's Irish, the skin is light, she will burn, so she stays in the shade. Right? I don't burn. Right? But I'm thankful to God. You know, he made me black and I'm pleased about that. You know, I can... And all that stuff. And my kids are a mixture. You know, they've got, they got, they got dual heritage, to use the political correct, you know? So they can go... But they have the time already. So they're blessed. So what I was saying is I get annoyed because who I am... This bit, is nothing I can do about that. I didn't decide to make a choice in my life. I will be white. And no, you can't do that. <laughs> you are what you are. However, the other issue where we race, you know, where we, people's sexual orientation, that's another issue altogether. The Bible doesn't teach it that the church has to begin to stand and make a point about it and say, no, this isn't right. Irrespective of what's going on in our society. We, God has a plan for us and he knows best. Aren't you thankful that God planned that a man should be attracted to a woman or else none of us would be here? Yeah. But how we respond to people with homosexual, we love them. Because some of them, some of you, before you came to Jesus, you were promiscuous, but people loved you anyway, but you didn't tell them. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't tell them. So it's the mercy of God. Now, Auntie's looking at his watch, so that means I need to move on. <laughs> so, too sharp, man. When you've been preaching as long as I have, I know. <laughs> now, people say to me, "Oh yes, just preach as long as you like." I said, "Yeah, really? You want me to come back next week?" <laughs> you know, as soon as kind of the time comes, you see the people look up at the clock. Their stomach is telling them, "Food is time for food." You know. <laughs> anyway, we cannot preach the everlasting message everlastingly, so we have to finish. <laughs> So, what were the three things that they asked for? Boldness, which is one. The next one is authority. Do you realize as a child of God that you have authority? Matthew, verse 28, verse 18. Jesus said, all authority has been given to who? To me. What you need to understand that the fall was not only just a disaster for us, but it was a disaster for God with respect. You say, what do you mean? The authority that, and the mandate that was given to man, Satan got it. And Jesus, God couldn't just take it back because he's a moral being straight away. That would impinge on his own righteousness. So when we read in, in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 that, that there on the cross, the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against you that were hostile to you, that God removed them out of the way, having what? Tied them the cross. Then it goes on to say, why does it go on to say that he made an open show of principalities and powers triumphing over them? What it's showing you is that on the, on the cross he was dealing with one thing, but when he effectively died, he went down into Hades and he went after the enemy. And one of the things was, that, yes, he set the captives free, because what you read is that some of those captives who were set free, they came up into Jerusalem. You can read it, it's in the book. And I had a look around because it was a long time since I'd seen the place. Because it said that many of the saints. It's there in the book. It's not heresy. It's there. But here's the point. He took the authority back that man had lost in the garden. And here's the beauty of it. We only had authority over the earth. But when Jesus came back and took the authority, he has authority in heaven and earth and every name that is named, not in, only in this world, but that which is to come. This is good preaching. Now, come on. <laughs> Yeah? 
Here's the beauty. When you become a child of God, it says in Ephesians chapter 2 there that he's lifted us up into the heavenly places with him. So we have authority too. Not only in the heavens, but also in the earth. In the earth. Big way, round, way, round. So, you have authority. Now, what does this mean? If you read Luke, I think, well, Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, where Jesus sends out the 72, and he gives them authority over evil spirits, raise the dead, etc. Now, they were not mature saints of God. Chances are their character wasn't all together. But when they went out, they were amazed that when they did speak to demons, they went. When they prayed for the sick, they got healed. And, when they re- and people got raised from the dead. And they came back rejoicing, and Jesus said, don't rejoice over the fact that this, that, and the others happened, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Friends, you have authority, which means you can pray for the sick and they will get healed. I'm working down at the YMCA there, Hatfield, space just up the road here. I wasn't particularly feeling full of faith that day. I was pretty tired. Don't use the other word. And the reality was that this guy came up, Mick, he said, oh, I've got sciatica, blah, blah, blah. I said, so I felt the Lord nudge me, man. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm not feeling full of power. He said, that's okay. It's my job. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I said, Mick, can I pray for you? He says, yes. I said, where's the pain? So he gets my hand. Puts the hand there. So we just come back from the National Leaders Conference at Vineyard, and the guys have been modeling away, praying, which is a little bit different to what we know. But he says, okay, so here's the deal. Where's the pain? Okay, come Holy Spirit. Then instead of us saying, Lord, heal the pain, which, which the Lord says, no, you speak in my name, and it will be healed. So, I'll, so based on that model, I said, in the name of Jesus, we speak to Sayataka and we command you to cease your operation and we command you to be healed in the name of Jesus. Then you do a little check and you go, scale of one to ten, where is it now? <laughs> you know, is it, is, it, is it a four or is it a six or is it still hurting? You know? So he goes, oh, it's a four, something happening. And I'm thinking, oh, really? <laughs> so I says, I pray again. In the name of Jesus, I Command, you command, you don't just say, you know, be, yeah, be healed in Jesus' name. He says, what is it like? He goes, oh, oh, 10, which you actually meant, no, it's gone, oh, oh, oh. I go, oh, bless God, that's great. So, you know, I just, and that's what happened, the guy got healed. Now I see Mick, because he got, you know, and I say, oh, it's the back, oh yeah, it's got a little twinge there, but it's working all right. You can do this. And you, now, <laughs> I have to say this by way of parenthesis, Yes, I'm a chaplain. Yes, I'm a minister. But I was doing, but let me just say, for almost 30 years of my life, I worked out there just like you. And I was doing it then. So you can't just use the excuse that, well, you are a minister. We expect you to do this. You are a chaplain. You have the badge, you know? No? Right? You can do this. Because what will happen is that your neighbor will start to talk to you if you give them time. And they will start to share with you what's going on in their life. And all you need to do, you don't have to do, you don't have to kind of wait for a, you know, you hear angels and you know this is the moment. You must pray. (laughs) What it is, it's simple. You just say, "Uh, can I pray a blessing on you? Invariably, they say yes. And here's the thing I'm noticing. The power of God moves more powerfully outside the church than in it. Everybody said, man, I like. <laughs> so when you go out there and you say, can I just pray for you? And you know, you, I've done this many, many times. And you just say, 
quietly say, Holy Spirit, come. And you just pray a blessing on them. And, and this is the opportunity for the prophetic gift in you to come forth. So God gives you something and you pray over them and you see them melt. And when they experience the presence and the power of God, do you think they have a problem in receiving the rest of the package? I prayed for that guy, and while I was praying for him, there was a guy called, we call him the, mad, the bandana man, Paul. And he's like, he's like, he's kind of like, he's Caucasian, but I think he'd like to be black. <laughs> uh, some of you, unless you've been around, may not understand that, but he's kind of, he talks like a brother, but he ain't one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's people out there like, you yeah, we got names for them, but you can't use that in church. <laughs> right, and he's going, Oh, so you're a healer then? I said, no. I said, it was God. I'm just a channel. He said, oh, right. Oh, right, okay. Fair enough. You know, <laughs> etc. So he sees something happening there, and he's now open for the gospel. And I could recount many, many, many of those type of situations happening. God calls you to do the stuff out there. And the disciples pray for boldness, that signs of wonders will take place in the name of Jesus in the marketplace. The meeting place, as Chris has been saying, is the training place for the marketplace. And you're all in the marketplace. You're all living next door to people who, if you ask God, he will give you an opportunity to minister to them, even if it's just to listen to them. And here's the thing. This morning we're going to do this stuff. <laughs> Yow, I'm excited. Because you see, the presence of God is here. And you at the moment are all spectators and you are being entertained, you're being informed, and I hope I'm engaging, and I hope I'm effective, but ultimately you're going to get, you're going to get involved in some of this. And we've got some of the team here as well, because this morning, I don't have to say prophetic word, how many people in here got back problems? Come up the front. Come up the front. If you've got back problem, come up the front. Just stand out here. Now we're moving away from just talk. We're now going to action. Man, mercy. Team, come. <laughs> right? Some of you spread out. Stand. If you, oh, oh, you're all like, okay, fair enough. You're over there. That's fine. Okay. Uh, now, uh, you come. I'm going to pray for you here. This is, I'm going to model this for you because you can do this. Yeah? This is, this is t- preaching with training. Jesus began to do and to teach. We teach and then do. <laughs> oh, mercy. Uh, what time do we finish today? All right. <laughs> v, I know why you sit next to me. You know me well, yeah? <laughs> okay, what's your name, bro? Leslie. Leslie, I know you, yes? Yeah. And is it lower back? Uh, between the shoulder blades. Between the shoulder blades. That's an interesting place for it. Now, here's an interesting thing. When we're praying for the sick, there are tools that you use. You say, what are the tools? They're the gifts of the Spirit. I, God can give you a word of knowledge, or the word, a word of knowledge, so that, or a prophetic word, either way, that can tell us what the root of the problem is. Because sometimes when we do this, we pray for the thing and nothing happens. Then we get, a, someone has a word, and we had it ha- happen the other day where we're praying for a lady with a lower back problem, and then someone said, it's in the lumbar region, that's what. So we prayed in the lumbar region, boof, things start to happen. The, that lady, church I was at two weeks ago, she has not picked up a child for 20 years. She picked one up last couple of Wednesdays ago. God healed her. Yeah? His power, not ours. Yeah? And why I'm not afraid is it's not my power. And nothing happens, it's not down to me. 
right? It's not down to him either. We understand in the kingdom of God that things happen in the now and the future. But we're praying for God to do something now. So, just remind me, you know, please, Leslie. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come, and you just ask, Holy Spirit, just come now. Bless your son. Now we're going to command this, this pain in the, in the shoulder blades. In the name of Jesus, we speak healing, and we speak wholeness to this shoulder blade. We command the pain to leave in the name of Jesus. Let bone come to bone, marrow to marrow. Let nerve endings go to the right place and let there be healing in Jesus Christ's name. Move your power. More, Lord. More. More. Now, give me some feedback and I want you to be brutal with me. Scale, 10. And if they do this in hospital, they say, what's the pain like? Is it 10? Is it 5? Is it 4? Where do you feel it? Does anything happen? Is it 10? Or is it 4? Is it 3? What is it at the moment? Um, it was, um, Which is? Uh, five or four. Okay, let's see. Yeah, that's great. So what you do, you pray again. So now, you command again, in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Your son's back. Now we speak healing and wholeness in the name of Jesus. Command the pain to leave him now in the name of Jesus. Let there be healing now in Jesus Christ's name. We command the back to come to the right place in the name of Jesus. We free your son now in Jesus Christ's name. Bone to bone, marrow to marrow, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. More, Lord. More. 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 All right, give us some feedback. Yeah, be brutal, free, honest. Don't right. be just nice for me. Yeah, don't protect me because God does that. <laughs> Tell me what you're feeling. What What do you sense? How's it feeling? Yeah, it's about four. Four? Okay, let's just pray. Well, thank you, Lord, for what you've done already. Lord, more, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you for what you've done in this back. Now, Lord, we ask you for complete healing. Shoulder blades in the name of Jesus. Bone to bone, marrow to marrow, in the name of Jesus. We speak healing and we speak wholeness in Jesus' name. More, Lord. More. 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 Give some feedback. Let's give Lord a praise. Three now, yeah? From ten. Now, the healing process will continue, so what you can do is you go back and, and the rest of the team will pray this down to one. Okay? And make sure you talk well, to nil. Right? And make sure you give testimony to Jesus. Now, friends, I've modeled that for you. I am not a special person. I have authority just as you have as a child of God and you have authority over all the works of the evil one and it's not an issue of praying for God to do it, he's giving you the authority to do it. Yeah? Which for some of us that's going to do our heading. Good. Because the idea is we have to change the way that we think. God gives us authority, it's not some kind of a um, show, but what the point is this, that when people come into church and they see people get healed, they go away and believe that God can do something for their finances, God can do something for their relationship, God can do something for their job, God can do something for their family. That's the hope that we have to give people when a supernatural God begins to demonstrate his power through his people in the church, the church can go out and do the stuff in the marketplace in the name of Jesus and people are turned to himself. Amen? Bless God. Let's just give God thanks for what he's doing. Have a brilliant moment. A lot better.